everyone. Welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I couldn't decide what tone to start with there. I thought, am I going to sing this week? Am I going to be serious? Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation with Brianna Wu. That's sexy. Thank you, Christina. (laughs) Brianna Wu dialing in from Ireland. How are you doing? I am awesome. Oh, my God. So this hotel they put me up uh, out for Inspire Fest is so super posh. It is like it is like living in the future, this hotel. Nothing is at right angles. Like, you have to open up, like, hidden doors to, like, get coffee or, like, you know, like, the bathroom is hidden. It is so super posh. See, that scares me because those are two things. When I I need to go to the bathroom and when I need to find coffee – I need right. those things immediately. I don't want to be messing with puzzles. I want to be don't want to be doing traps from Legend of Zelda. I want I want <laughs> access. So well, how hard is it to get to the coffee, Bree? Tell me. It's you have to you have to find the compass first, and then oh, you have to crap. beat the boss, and then you get the treasure chest, and then you get the coffee. Well, okay. I mean, I guess I guess that's basically what it's like getting out of bed for me every morning. So <laughs> before we go on, I need to acknowledge something. Yeah. Christina, this is a, a far inferior experience to hanging out with you at WWDC and doing the podcast with you in the room with me. Um, this sucks. It's like producing a podcast on Novocaine. Uh, and this is just unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. I what time is it that. there right now? Uh, is 1 a.m. I am so sorry. Oh, my God. No, no, no. I didn't wake up until 3.40. So, like, <laughs> you know. Okay, well, that's, in, that's yeah. better. But still, yeah. thank you, Bree, for, for doing this. Yeah, yeah seriously. Can, can I tell you? So, I am the world's worst person at pushing deadlines up until the last <laughs> minute. And I have to hand in my slides to this conference tomorrow uh that you know they're flying me out here and they spent like a non-trivial amount of money getting me out here so i'm gonna be up all night doing my homework and then i will go to bed so it's not a problem all right well thank you for (laughs) well that's all the more reason to press on through this week's news and christina warren senior tech correspondent at mashable how are you doing this week back in new york city i assume are you still in california no, I'm back in New York okay, City. Okay, cool. You're back and, home. Uh, yes. It is, I'm back home. It is gross out in oh. New York. It's Aww. hot and it's muggy and it's 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 um like kind of rainy and it's it's gross out. But um I, I did watch a whole lot of Orange is the New Black oh. um, over the weekend. I'm I'm halfway through episode eleven. Oh my god, so you're almost done. I'm almost done. Um I'm totally in love with Ruby Rose, who I was already <gasps> in love with before. And that's not spoiling anything. That's just saying I'm in love with yeah, her. Yeah, no, that's, that's I think obvious. everyone is in love with her. She's just, she's just, I mean, amazing. Um, no, I'm good. I'm good. How about you, Miss Miss Simone? How are you? I am great. I had like the most relaxing weekend. I went on a road trip with my mom and I saw up close and personal the Cascade Mountains, which every day when I'm driving to work, if it's clear, I look over and I see the mountains and I almost die because I'm like, the mountains, driving my car, looking like at a complete 90 degree angle. So I actually got to go through the mountains that I loved and to these towns of like the biggest town in the area, Twisp, uh, had around 800 people and um, wow. it was beautiful. And then I came back to the madness of E3, which we've been covering from our office in Seattle. And that has been amazing, but also the most exhausting. Like, it's almost more tiring now than it was when I was at E3 last year because I got to be kind of chill and just like wander around and have fun and talk to devs and play games and interview people. And then now it's like 
one news story after another, but it's it's been really, really fun. So, yeah. It's been a really interesting E3 week. Like, there's been it, a lot of news out. Yeah, a ton of yeah, news. And I think really concrete efforts to include women not speaking of mm-hmm. the PC gaming conference, which we Ugh. But uh. they, they even did at the last minute kind of <laughs> realize that they had made a mistake by including 80,000 white male speakers. Um. <laughs> no, hold on. They had AMD sponsored. So those of you that don't know, um, PC Gamer had an E3 uh, show. And, you know, they displayed the website before it. And there you had 28 uh, all seemingly white male speakers, um, which is hugely problematic. And then, Mm -hmm. like, I talked to the editor of PC Magazine. I'm like, don't you realize this is problematic? And he said, well, this isn't a final list. We're going to have other people coming in. And the two people came in. They had one dev. And they had um, an executive of the company that co-sponsored it with them, uh, AMD. So, you know, you don't get off the hook for that. And, you know, especially in an, in a year where I saw so many more women prominent in coverage, yeah. it was just completely unacceptable. And we talked about so. it on Gaming with the Mobs today, but Microsoft starting it with Bonnie Ross coming on and talking. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, Phil Collar actually wrote a great uh, write-up on Polygon about PC, the PC gaming conference and how they can fix that next year. And I recommend yep. it. It's really good, really fair. Um, but other than that, E3 has been super exciting. And I, I don't know if we're I, – I guess we should, we should probably wait till next week to really talk in depth about it because we have other stuff going on this week. But, uh, yeah, I'd totally love to talk about that more later. So b- before we get started, Christina, I have to ask you. You are a professional journalist, not an unprofessional like, <laughs> not person a like I Not like that right. Simone de Roche yeah. for. Yeah. No, 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 no. Well, you too, Simone. But – like, okay, so how how are you, how are both of you with deadlines? Because I have always, like, if I don't have the pressure of a deadline, I will not get stuff done. Like, I'm pretty bad. I'm pretty bad with that. Yeah. I, I'm getting, I'm, it depends on what the story is. I mean, like, if I really genuinely have to have something done, it'll be done. Um, but I've missed things I genuinely have to have done before too. No, but I, I'm, I'm pretty bad. I, a deadline helps, but I'm certainly not great with it. Um, I kind of go in waves. There's certain stories I can, I can knock out really quickly. There's some that, um, you know, I will take really long time on, um, and maybe be longer yeah. than I should. Um, I'm not great at deadlines. That's one of my like worst skills as a journalist, I would have to say, yeah. um, unless my job and, and there've been areas of time, this is not the case with my current position where speed has been above most things and I've needed to crank out X number of stories a day. Mm-hmm. In that case, I was always fine with the quota and fine with those things. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not fantastic at headlines personally. Hmm. I mean, something I found when I used to do newspaper journalism, where every single day you'd have to, you know, like turn in crime stories about what happened. Like there's a formula for an inverted pyramid story yes. that you can write just with your brain turned off and it's not hard because you don't, insert yourself in there at all you just write the facts from most important to least important Mm. but anything that requires you to like pull inside yourself and to really um like you know they told me they're like we really need you to give a seriously inspirational speech if you look next door like there are banners up everywhere like this is this is gonna be one of the biggest things of my career and it's really hard. Like, you can't do that on a deadline. That makes a ton of sense. No, totally. Yeah. 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 It makes a ton of sense. And I'm, I'm the sort of person, I procrastinate when it comes to speeches yeah. especially <laughs> and, and yep. slides until the very last minute. And I do it because I can. And 
it's a terrible, terrible trait because I really shouldn't do it. And I even talked about this when I gave a talk at Singleton um, a few years ago. Um, I was talked about the fact that like my speeches, and I'm a very good public speaker, but I probably would be better if I planned things more um, because oftentimes I'll go over it in my head and I'll know what I'm doing, but my slides will sometimes be done. Like I've literally finished slides 20 <laughs> minutes before presentation. It's so, so nice to hear that from you because I I feel like I went – I, I'm getting better at deadlines, especially now with Linda's an amazing um, editor and she really helps me keep on task. But all through college, I feel like it was a saga of me going, when will someone punish me for writing my essay the night before it was due? And I was never punished. I got really good grades. And it, it does ruin you. <laughs> it does. No. And I mean, I remember having a friend who was like, well, just think how much better your essay would have been if you'd written it before, not the morning that was due. I'm like, yeah. I, I, got a, I got an A. I honestly don't think it would have been any better. A lot of it, I, for me, a, a motivation is a big part of it. Like there were certain things where I was doing research beforehand because I really loved them. And then uh, it, now, I guess, with videos, um, like my Angry Birds video, I was so into that. And I was planning it out and doing it step by step and hit that deadline. It was amazing. Um, and that never happens. But I, th I think it's a lot to do with like how much it stimulates you creatively and just kind of what you're getting out of it. And then, But with when it comes to introspective personal stuff, it's always so much harder, even if you are inspired and you do want to do a good job because you're also kind of dealing with your own personal represent representation and how you see yourself. So... Ugh. Well, I also think there's, um, I, I think, I think there's a kind of speaker and, you know, like Christina, I think you and I are more similar in personality here where, yes, <laughs> um, I like to, I like to read a room and then speak extemporaneously. Like that's what I like to do if I can is to just have general points and to speak about it. And I think there's a lot more truth if you're doing that, like you're, if you're having a real conversation as opposed to other personality types, um, some of which are just hyper, hyper organized and structured. And even though the content of it might be superior to something put out, you know, like immediately before, I think you can lose an emotional connection with that. Like certainly yeah. anything where a speaker is reading something as opposed to talking, um, I think it's automatically a fail very frequently. Well, you have to be able to improvise as you're going along and add and subtract depending Definitely. on what people are responding to. So what you're saying is you're not going to prepare for your speech until the moment you walk in and step on that stage. That's what's going to happen. And then you're going to turn on your laser eyes. You're going to read the room and you're going to be like, this is how it is, Ireland. Let yeah, me tell you yeah. about sheep and cheese. Um, <laughs> <laughs> See, everyone thinks that's like what's amazing about Ireland so far is they have so much high tech sector here. Like I'm right next to Facebook headquarters, like Yahoo headquarters is right across the street. HP is having a huge conference here. Oh, I remember they had a huge boom in the tech industry a while ago. And then I remember during the recession, I heard that it was not going well. But has it picked up since then, do you think? Um, I can only say, like, I, I ran for about 10 miles downtown today, and it was it was very interesting because I would run past, like, a hyper-modern, completely gorgeous building with, like, a huge conference going on inside of it, and then I'd run around the street, and it would be like a dilapidated alley. So yeah. um, it seems to be a real mixture of the two. Like, you can see, yeah. you could see the city hurting, but you can also see it, like, moving back. That's interesting. Let's uh, let's get to the topics this week. Before we do it, can we tell people out there that we had so much information last week that Simone and I, without Christina 
Jen's input, went behind her back and decided to make two dessert topics this week. <laughs> so that is what's happening. I mean, honestly, like I think I think this will be a great warm up for what what we should do one week, which is nothing but dessert. Yes, that was our first suggestion. But then, I mean, news comes up as it does. So our first story is that this week um, a case was settled between an Uber driver and Uber, where they decide where the uh, California Labor Commission decided that Uber does have to pay this driver driver Barbara Berwick four thousand one hundred fifty two dollars and twenty cents in business expenses. And this is um, this comes after it was ruled that they didn't have to do that. But now they are deciding that, yeah, they do have to pay her. And this is a huge deal because Uber kind of bases its entire operation on the fact that it doesn't have to pay for drivers, car maintenance, gas mileage, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a what do you think, Christina? This is it's- potentially a, this is a huge deal, right? Yeah, potentially. So, I mean, really what it comes down to is whether or not, um, you know, Uber drivers are employees or contractors. And Uber's, um, you know, position has always been that they are independent contractors who uh, Uber provides them with certain things, you know, such as a, a phone. Mm-hmm. to be strictly used for Uber and, you know, there's an insurance writer and, and various things like that, um, but that they are on their own. So they're responsible for their car maintenance and, and, and you know, gas and all, and all kinds of other things, um, you know, health insurance, all that stuff. Uh, and this uh, this lawsuit basically said, no, you know, um, for this particular case, which Uber wants to make clear, uh, you know, uh, the person <laughs> is, 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 is one case. non-binding. One case, this this person is considered an employee, meaning that Uber would be responsible for um, business expenses. So the the thought is, and obviously Uber will do everything they can to fight against this, yes. would be that this could open up the way, the, you know, pave the way for, um, a, a, I guess, A, there are already um, efforts to try to unionize um, Uber mm-hmm. drivers, which is separate from this. But the idea would be that, you know, Uber drivers could be considered employees rather than contractors. And that would drastically impact um, Uber's business model. Uh, because right now, you know, they're paying a portion of, you know, the drivers are, are make money, you know, based on what they drive. Um, it's, it's not any different really than it's very similar in a lot of ways to kind of the livery or the taxi system um, where, you know, medallion owners um, lease out their cars to um, drivers. Um, but if, if you were employed rather than, you know, um, contract, there would be, uh, would be responsible for uh, additional payroll taxes, mm-hmm. uh, health insurance uh, with the number of drivers they have, um, as, as well as other sort of maintenance fees and, and upkeep and, and all kinds of other stuff. So yeah. obviously, if, you know, for a company that has the, the sort of valuation Uber has, that has the aspirations of going beyond where they're going, and, and they've been the, kind of the poster child of this, you know, um, uh, what, what's the term? Um, sharing economy, I guess. You know, they, they've they've kind of been the, the poster child for that. Uh, having them, if you know, even one case where they're said, you know, these are not contractors but they're employees, uh, has potentially really serious ramifications. So it's non-binding, but does that mean that it doesn't set a precedent for other courts mm. to look at? It definitely could. It definitely could. I mean, for this particular case, okay. it could. I mean. You know, again, it's this particular case. Um, I mean, I'm sure that they're going to be trying to argue things. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> we should disclose none of us are lawyers. Uh, and certainly none of us, even if we were, none of us practice law in California. Um, none of us work in labor related disputes in this in this case. Um, but I mean, I think that not only should Uber has a lot at risk here. So obviously, they're yeah. going to spend a lot of money lobbying and, 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 you know, using their lawyers and their things to, to kind of fight against this. But frankly, a lot of other companies 
have a lot at risk <laughs> on this too. You know, um, you know, Postmates, uh, Lyft, um, FedEx recently was kind of the you know uh, victim of of, of some um, you know employee lawsuit for for something about its about its drivers. You know, there are a lot of companies that have largely contract working workers as their staff, um, and and we're not even just talking about kind of the on demand market, but but uh, you know even um, in in you know the the tech field, there are tons and tons of people who. Um, our contractors. What about journalism? Yeah, I had not made that connection. I know up here, there are so many people contracting for Microsoft, and it'll be that constant cycle yep. of work for them, laid off for three months, but they know they're getting hired back on. But it's just oh, sometimes it's not even three months. So a friend of mine, she works for for a company um, in San Francisco, and she's been with them, I guess, for eighteen months, and she literally um, gets fired on a Saturday and gets rehired on Monday. Wow. Oh my god. Wow, that's amazing. Yes, because 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 the way that it happens is literally they do it over the weekend. So literally, she leaves work on Friday, um, it, it, you know, is officially fired on Saturday, and then is rehired. When that sounds so that's stressful. Amazing. Oh my god! And they <laughs> yeah. do this every six months. They do it every six months. Yeah. So um, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, you yeah. know, so I, you know, I'm the kind of person that when I'm in the back of an Uber, Uber car, or even a cab, I, I always chit chat with the driver, you know. So I'm always, mm-hmm. sure. I'm always interested to find out like how the economics of Uber affect like taxi drivers and Uber drivers. And I've asked them about this in probably every single city I've visited in the last year. Um, and I think it's really interesting that you, you, have, you do have a lot of drivers there that are, have been both cab drivers and have been both Uber drivers, and they find that they make more money through Uber. And I think it's really important to, to stress that like because of the bureaucratic things that go around taxi services, like that's not always a mm-hmm. great hiring situation for those drivers either. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it would be fair to say that generally speaking, even though I'm, you know, I am an, uh, an entrepreneur, you know, I, I have a very pro-labor bent. Um, and even having that bent, yes. I think this is, a, this is a case that's really, really interesting to think about. Um, because, like, if Uber has to come through and start giving insurance and reimbursing gas for a lot of people, I think you're going to see a, a limit to the number of drivers that they have in the system. So I think it's going to slow down the number of drivers that get pulled into Uber. I think it's going to, like, um, you know, not that I don't mind paying a little bit more for Uber rides. I would be very happy to if it helped the drivers make a living wage. But I think it's going to affect um, the the rate of responsiveness of um, you know getting an Uber sent to you because I think their drivers are going to have to decrease, and you know I just um, yep. I I think that this has a lot of really I, I think it's not a, a Manichean thing it's not good or bad like it's it's very complex. Yeah. That's interesting because I was watching uh, a video on The Verge where they had somebody do like a stint as an Uber driver, I think for a week. And he found that – or no, sorry. He was a, he was being a Lyft driver. And this was during a time when Lyft was paying drivers extra because they, they had promised that you would make $30 right. an hour or something. And he yes. found that there, were, there was a, a saturation of Uber and Lyft drivers on the road that made it harder for him to actually make money. Yes. They had promised $35 an hour. He was making – 12 to 14 Mm -hmm. so less uber drivers that's interesting to me because it could end up being better for the ones that stick with it bad for us 
I mean, I mean, I I think that ultimately the equilibrium ends up being found in these places and and what you find out that happens. And I think that honestly, this is the reason why I don't think it's good for the system as a whole. I mean, I'm I'm a pro-labor person in general, but I'm not necessarily thinking that services such as Uber or Lyft should be the the drivers should be considered employees rather than contractors because most of the time there are especially in New York plenty of people who do it as their full-time job but in many other cities especially with UberX that is not their full-time job um it is in and or 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 beyond that they might drive for both Uber and Lyft and that's actually yeah. very common um and what i'm actually increasingly seeing in New York is even a lot of the full-time drivers they have like company like guys work for livery services like i'll have if i'm going on tv or something a car service will pick me up and the car service driver will have a a decal on his car that indicates that he's actually also part of uber's livery pool meaning that he's driving for that car service as well as for for uber so they're they're contracting with all these different companies you know they're not anyone's employee and and you can say you can criticize and i think we should and it's worth talking about you know what that means for benefits for for non-employees you know and, and what what that means to be contract but aside from that i also feel like you know um it's not sustainable for a lot of businesses to have to employ um, uh, the same way that we would traditionally, you know, all, all of their laborers because individuals oftentimes work those jobs because they don't want, you know, um, the uh, responsibility, I guess, or obligations that come along with with being kind of a full time employee. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or the fact that you have to guarantee a certain hourly rate because it, because you could do better or worse. And that's kind of what, you know, yeah. when Lyft is offering incentives to try to get more drivers in their system, that does actually create a surplus of drivers, which then can lower everyone's rates. What typically has happened from what, what studies have shown, and, and all of this stuff is too new, is that typically, um, you know, kind of an equilibrium will be found and that people who are keeping at it will keep at it. Yeah. And if people are not having enough money, they'll stop. And then that will kind of even out the pool. I wonder if what they'll end up doing is kind of both with a core employee group of Uber drivers plus contractors who work. I don't. Yeah. And how viable that would be. Because, Christina, yeah. my experience has been very similar to yours. Um, very often when I you need to take an Uber from, from my house to you know, MIT or something. Um, very, very, very often it's a student because, you know, Boston is such a great pool of yeah. students there doing mm-hmm. it as a part-time job. So that's exactly what my thought was, that maybe you could uh, you know, stratos- have a bit of a stratosphere with who is a, a, a contractor and who is an employee. It's really interesting. I was When I was reading the Verge article, they had um, – the IRS definition of basically what an employer is and to be from a completely like divorced from whatever my emotional ish stance on this is an employer dictates behavioral standards, controls the money. And um, I think maintains a relationship with the employee. I'm not clear on the last bit, but Uber definitely does control. Like if you don't behave correctly as an Uber driver, you get fired and they do control what cut the driver gets versus what cut they get. So on two of the three, at least they definitely fulfill the criteria of an employer. I'm really curious about what may, what um, case, if you guys know what Barbara Berwick was saying or why she decided or what her argument was for needing to be reimbursed for business expenses. Cause that's what I haven't been able to find yet is what was the argument that she made or that her lawyers made. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I assume that it was that certain upkeep was necessary to, you know, as as part of actually, you know, to be her able job. To, like, the only way that, to be able to do yeah. this, she needed to. Yeah, exactly. She had to put money into her car, and there was wear and tear, and then that was 
above and beyond what was maybe explained to her in her contract. I'm okay. not really sure. I mean, I think that there, there, I'd have to look into the case really further to, to, to know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it opens up a lot of really interesting questions. Like you yeah. said, you know, it fits certain number of criteria and then it doesn't for others. And I certainly think that it's possible they could have kind of core drivers who would do that. But again, most taxi drivers, in fact, all taxi drivers that I know of are not employees. They are, you know, working contractors basically, um, you know, for, you know, the medallion owner. So someone owns the medallion for that cab. And then and then you have a shift that you're taking, like in New York anyway, you know, that you're, you're, you're driving your cab X hours a week, but it's not like you're parking it in your garage. Yeah. You're taking it to, you know, like the taxi depot. You know what I mean? Like it's not one of those things. In some, in some states, there are people who maybe drive their own cab and drive their own medallion. Yeah. Um, but in New York where the medallions cost so much money, that's not the case at all. You know, the, the, the mafia people who own the medallions. Um, <laughs> I'm actually not wrong about that. Like, I, yeah, I know you're actually, not being. Like, I'm not wrong. You're not being facetious, um, it, like at all. Um, you know, are are renting them out. So I mean, it's it it opens up, I think, some interesting questions just about how Uber is in Uber and to a much lesser extent Lyft, um, because they're mostly just following Uber's coattails for a lot of uh, the, the different um, legislation changes Uber is trying to, to uh, you know push through. They're interesting in that they both want to have the rules of traditional drive, driving services apply to them, and yet they don't want yeah. those rules to apply to them as well. So they're in an interesting place where they're trying to get certain legislation passed that benefits them while at the same time taking advantage of other systems already in place yeah. for established you know, um, car services. Ugh, what a mess. <laughs> I really worry that this case could set a precedent that could really stop a very important area of innovation. Yeah, yeah. Simone, yeah. something we've talked about on Rocket before is how your generation versus mine likes to you know, share things yeah. or you know, borrow things or buy used things as opposed to new things. And you know, the Uber kind of model of sharing something that is expensive to maintain yourself um, is, is spreading to a lot of different industries. I've seen Uber for washing machines. Um, you know, that's actually a pretty brilliant product. It really like is. If you live in a city, not everybody has access to a washer and dryer. Actually, can you tell me the name of that service? Wash.io, W-A-S-H.io. There are a bunch of them, actually. Thank you. I, but the idea is like this particular model is spreading to a lot of different um, to a lot of different industries besides just driving. And I think that this has some really serious effects that, you know, if you just are considered an employee right off the bat, um, you know, I'm very pro-labor, but I'm also very pro-innovation. And as horrified as I am by Uber's business practices in some sense, I also see them like going up against this um, government legislation is in cities that is just completely confiscatory and yeah. is designed to hurt the consumer. Let me give you an example. While I was down in Disney World last um, earlier this year, I just wanted to use Uber. And you know, when you're staying on Walt Disney World property, even in a hotel that's like outside of it near downtown Disney, like Disney just does everything in their power to get rid of Uber and force you to use this taxi service that costs four times as yep. much. Jeez. As if Disney is not already getting enough of your money while you're <laughs> down there. And yep. I I understand Uber having a, a business practice attitude to it, being like, you know what, we're going to do our thing, we'll adjudicate it in court and see what happens. And I, I kind of, as aggressive as that is, I think that this um, bureaucracy around driving has really made that necessary. Yeah, I feel that. Shall we move on to tell you about how this episode of Rocket is sponsored 
by Hover, brought to you by Hover, the easiest, fastest, and most wonderful way to buy and manage domain names. Um, and as is traditional, I went on to Hover today and I looked up some domain names, which I'll tell you about later. But basically, Hover is awesome because it makes it so super easy to do this. Um, I could, I have so many domains at my fingertips. Um, and like we, we actually, uh, this is really relevant because this week, Pixelkin.com um, almost, or it was set to expire. Uh, the person renewed the domain name, unfortunately. So we are still Pixelkin.org. We can't do the redirect thing. But anyway, the, the important fact here is that when you find the name for the company, that you, you find the name for the service that you want to provide to the world, you want to jump on that domain as fast as you can. And you want to have options for just getting it in your control so that other people, like that person who owns Pixelkin.com, <laughs> don't keep it from you. Um, so yeah, Hover makes it super easy, hassle-free to buy domain names and manage them Um there are no none of those scammy add-ons and high prices and stuff. You get in, you get the domain, you get out, and it has tons of great TLDs to choose from, like .plumbing, .sexy, and .coffee, all of which are my three favorite things in the world. Um, <laughs> .bar, I think so. Yeah, .wine is actually the one that I would want, most likely. I own Christina.wtf and filmgirl.nyc. And we still need to figure out things to do with those. We do. We do. I was going to say, filmgirl.nyc, it was actually a hover domain. So we really need to come oh, up yeah. with something for that. We, but, so, I always yes. forget that that's a hover domain. Yeah, that's awesome. And their .coms are twelve ninety nine, And that includes who is privacy for free. So it's really cool. So today, uh, their show code for us is terminated. Terminated. Yeah, you get 10% off if you're first, you use uh, Terminated for your first purchase at Hover. So I went and I found the Terminated uh, domain names. Uh, Terminated.com, unfortunately, not available because some scumbag got there before us. But uh, there is the Terminated.com, which sounds like a metal band, and I'm super into it. But even if your band is not the Terminated, it's just Terminated. There's also Terminated.band. And that one was available for, oh gosh, where did it go? Scroll in, there's so many choices. Well, the terminated was .com was $12.99. So that's awesome already right there. Um, nice. Terminated.rocks, $12.24. <laughs> I always have so much fun like going on and finding these. Um, terminated.cab, which is what's going to happen with, you know, the cab companies when Uber and Lyft take over the world. <laughs> Topical humor, you guys! Get with it! And terminated.flowers for when you're breaking up with someone. On your website, you buy the, you buy terminated.flowers, and then you, like, leave your breakup message there, you send that URL to the person that you don't love anymore, and you're like... <laughs> All right. So thank you so much, Hover, for sponsoring this episode of Rockets. Um, and yeah, check out Terminated, 10% off. Remember that. Those three words. We super appreciate and love you. We have so much E3 news up right now, you guys. Oh, my God. So this E3, is not... backward compatibility <laughs> with Xbox 360. Um, new what? media I didn't. I didn't see that. Wait, oh. what? Yeah, so the Xbox One is going to be backwards compatible with to start 100 uh, Xbox 360 games and then more to come. 
So this is what this is why we should have a, a full E3 episode because there is a lot of um, interesting tech stuff that did happen at E3. But I feel like this week we Final Fantasy VII's getting a remake. Oh! Yep. <laughs> Which I know Brie has a lot of feelings about, but right now we should talk about Ghostbusters. And I totally accidentally closed the article, but basically the uh, Greg Economos of oh my god, Christina. You're a derailleur. <laughs> no, keep singing. I want you to be the backtrack to my announcement. Uh, the senior vice president of Sony's global consumer products has confirmed that they will be making girl toys for the Ghostbusters yes! movie, which has, yes! as you know, yes! female leads. Uh, I, w- I am totally 100% on board with this. But what I hated was that they then went on to say, like, having a woman-led cast means we could have more toys, like fashion dolls aimed at girls. And I'm like, that's the last goddamn thing we need, but sure. It's good. I mean, Are diverse you kidding toys, me? Like, I would love that. I would love that. Yeah, if they seriously. put a Barbie, Ghostbuster Barbie, with like that would a be tailored amazing. brown jumpsuit, I would buy like 10 of I those. I object to the term fashion dolls, like action figures, I feel is gender neutral enough. Like... <laughs> Well, no, but they're different, though, because the fashion doll of, for instance, G.I. Joe, the original G.I. Joe was actually a fashion doll. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Because it's 12 inches in size. Yes, because it's it's it's, it's a size thing. Like if it's fashion doll is, is a certain size, like and usually has like hair that you can brush and other stuff. But usually it's like 10 to 10 inches and up is a fashion doll. Whereas between like five and six, like, you know, inches of plastic is, is an action figure. OK, that. I learned something today, and I humbly accept this barrage of facts from Christina Warren. That is super cool. So, yeah, basically, I- I'm super pumped about this because I think they're kind of looking at what the the saga that Marvel has gone through with getting in trouble for cutting Black Widow off shirts, even replacing Black Widow on shirts with Captain America and not having Black Widow merchandise. They've kind of seen that, and they're saying, we're going to do better um, which I I think is a great, great move. They've got, I guess, over 90 licensees that will be developing merchandise for the reboot specifically, while Marvel and Lego are doing classic Ghostbusters stuff. So, yeah, what do you guys think? I, I'm super pumped about it. I mean, uh, yeah, the, the whole reason I went to the topic this week is IGN did an article about this, and, you know, the comments were predictably horrible of course i didn't actually read them oh it was really bad i actually um every time like the last time i talked to steve butts it wasn't the last time but like the the editor of ign the comments on one of the ghostbusters reboot stories were so bad i had to like shoot him a message and go like hey you might want to look at the comments for this section because they're they're (laughs) extremely extremely like radioactive bad like you know like um and you know these these comments were no worse, and it's it's really frustrating to me that um, yeah, there's a large portion of the geek audience that doesn't just like not want to buy you know like Ghostbusters fashion dolls, and that's fine. I get if you're not into that, but it's like actively very angry and hostile if that product yeah. exists just because they happen to be available. Right, right. No, it's it no, it's it's like look, the fact that they're making the fashion dolls does not mean that they will now make one less toy that you like. It simply means they're making another toy to sell and make money from. Like this is not how it works. There's not scarcity with toys. In this it means in, in, in some franchises there are. But in this case, this is called the toy company and Sony want to make as much money as they can. Period. Like I said, over 90 people will be making different kinds of things for this. I wonder I 
people are so, so threatened just by the mere presence of women in certain properties. I remember reading um, about Mad, the new Mad Max movie and – People were calling it feminist just from watching the trailers where there were women present. And I'm, I'm sorry, the presence of a woman does not, you know, a feminist movie make in the case of Mad Max. It was an awesome movie. We talked about that before. But there is like this idea that the simple existence of a woman equals overrun. We are overrun with women. And that's just so not the case in the. I mean, especially when it comes <laughs> no. to, you know, you are trying to sell a bunch of products to a wider range of people. This is probably – this is a family-friendly movie that will have a very broad audience. It needs to have, you know, stuff for people to spend money on because we live in a capitalist society. Um, but, yeah, it's this weird kind of proprietary attitude towards the thing. I, I almost wonder if it has to do with collectors and people wanting to collect every piece, but they don't like the idea that there will be, you know – parts that they don't want yeah and that's probably part of it but no i mean that that i mean i, th I think that that's giving them way too much benefit about <laughs> although i'm sure that there are some people who are that's part of it because again you can just collect part of a series or, or a series of toys and not every series of toys yeah. you know i mean it, it it's plus there are plenty of men who are toy collectors who have no qualms about collecting i mean the female figures oftentimes are more rare and are worth yeah. money because there are less of them so what i want is i want i am so psyched i think the other part of the news we have to talk about is chris helmsworth being cast as the secretary you guys i found an i was going through my papers last week just throwing old stuff out and i found a college essay where somehow i had written about the female gaze in thor it wasn't even a paper about thor but i just managed to slip that in there this ties back into you know me being lazy and writing my essays at the last minute and i was so proud of past me so uh yeah i'm really excited about chris hemsworth being and honestly yes he would 100 percent be hired for his looks i hope he is also a good receptionist uh let's go to our third topic so jurassic world <laughs> jurassic world speaking of hot people hi chris pratt <laughs> i'm sure he also listens to the show um i'm sure he does i love him well we'll get into this later jurassic world ended up crushing the avengers box office record domestically and Crush setting it. the global box office record for opening weekend so chris pratt is now the official i believe um owner of the world and the galaxy yep yeah so and that's the pretty galaxy. cool He's the guardian of the galaxy and uh, the owner of, of, of the world. The guardian yes, of right. the Velociraptors as well. Yes. So I freaking love this movie. Chris Brianna freaking love this movie. Christina, you. I love this movie. Love yes. this movie. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Yes. Oh, my God. You guys, Unanimous. that's like the first good summer blockbuster that has happened in I don't even know how long. Oh, God. I so totally agree. Like, it was the amazing thing about it. Um, I get, well, I we're, we're spoiling it, right? But it's fine. Uh, yes. Or, yeah, okay. I, I, I will. I'll try to be a spoiler, light le spoiler, spoiler less spoilers. as possible. Um, but basically, look, they're dinosaurs, you guys. Yeah, dinosaurs kill people. All through it, it was like these these moments where I would suddenly see where the plot was going, but it wasn't disappointing at all. It was like oh, they're gonna go there, they're gonna go there, and it just hit those story beats one after another, and it was such a wild freaking ride. I loved it, you guys. Yes, it was so good. No, it was so good. You know what it reminded me a lot of, and this is really telling because um, so the very first, so Jaws uh, came out in theaters on June 20th, 1975, so it celebrates its 40th anniversary oh my God. this week. 
Now, Jaws was the original summer blockbuster. Some people like to give the credit to, to Star Wars, and granted, Star Wars did a ton, but no, Jaws was actually the very first summer blockbuster. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons was that it was one of the very first films to be widely released in a bunch of theaters. Um, before Jaws, um, movies would come out, and they would kind of go from city to city, oh. um, kind of caravan style. So it would open in New York, maybe in L.A., and then it would, you know, they would kind of go from city to city. And so you didn't have this thing where it would open on however many th- hundreds or thousands of screens. But Jaws opened on like 500 screens when it came out. And it was this humongous phenomenon. and was this huge deal. And it was also kind of like Jurassic World. And there were like scary moments, you know, where you're like, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And you're surprised. And like it is, it's, as you said, it's a total ride. And that created like the summer blockbuster formula. And there haven't been a lot of those movies in the last... 10 years yeah um you know we've just had franchise franchise after franchise after franchise and granted this is a franchise but we the last time we had a jurassic park film was in 2001 and that was not very good and the last time we had a good one was was in 93 really exactly. and so you're talking about you know the fact that they were kind of building off this lore but not reliving the other characters it like felt like it's something new yeah and it felt like the old school like you know summer blockbuster that like i grew up on and that i love yeah yeah, it was no, I, fantastic. I have to say, like, okay, so if you don't know my husband, Frank Wu is basically, he's like a 12-year-old boy. Like, he has so much boyish <laughs> enthusiasm for everything. And he's awesome. He's the perfect person to go see a film or blockbuster with. And this movie was so much dino destruction awesomeness. Like, I couldn't even believe how good it was. And the thing is, I have to tell you, so good. I hate Chris Pratt. I hate him. I hated him on Parks and Why? Recreation. Whoa. I hated him. In- how does anybody hate Andy? Hold on, back up. How did any? How does anybody hate Andy Dwyer? Because Andy and April are like the best part of that show. Is this the most controversial opinion Brie has ever had? I think it is. I think it is. <laughs> I don't know. It's like he's to me. He reminds me of. He just. He seems to just sail through it got this charm but he doesn't show any real self-awareness about stuff he was bright abbott on everwood and he was great (gasps) you watched everwood oh my god wow i did i loved everwood i've never seen it. oh my god it was such a good show it was such a good show you know he and emily van camp hooked up on that show while they were brother and sister that's screwed up (laughs) oh wow uh they they were like they were like she was like she was and she was way younger than him too but they were like boyfriend and girlfriend like for a couple years on the the set and and stuff yeah now they're both owned by marvel so all things mm-hmm. yeah, they are indeed you know come full circle time is a flat circle so so i have to say like i ordinarily hate chris pratt but i loved him in this movie and i thought this was a much better role for him where this kind of um i don't know how to say it like this kind of basic dude <laughs> like, it, it, it it worked a lot better for him where he that kind of um I don't know, like that that limited around amount of. Well, he didn't have a character arc. He was static through the whole thing, and he was he was like a likable guy that really knew how to train animals and was the hero in it. And I just I really clicked with this character here. Yeah. So what I yeah. I think one thing that I would have I, my roommate and I talked about this extensively because he is basically a Jurassic Park scholar. Um, I would have made it because Jurassic Park movies kind of, they tend to have this moralistic message of yay environment, yay childish kind of wonder and idealism, fascination with the natural world, down with military yep. and down with like these corporations that want to control those things. Um, I found it 
or we both found it strange that uh, his character did have a military background, but then um, I, I just feel like it would have been very compelling had he been like a dolphin trainer who was brought into the park to train velociraptors and like didn't have that background where he was super capable. I felt like that would have added to the tension. That being said, I did totally enjoy um, his role in the movie. However, I do think that Bryce Dallas Howard was the hero of the film and Colin Trevorrow, really? the director, agrees with me. <laughs> Really? You thought she was the hero? Yeah, well, um, em- Emmett is the one who made this connection for me, but her arc mirrors Grant's arc from the first Jurassic Park film. He starts off that it movie. Does, actually, you're yeah, right. He doesn't like children. He's a grumpy old archaeologist, blah, 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 doesn't want to be involved with no, dinosaurs, bringing it back. What the heck? And then by the end, he goes through this arc where he has to protect children and care for them and becomes a more a well-rounded person. Claire... Starts off the movie not, you know, not hating children, but not understanding how to deal with them and always prioritizing her job over family. And she goes to that arc where she also then has to protect children and learn to get in touch with her, I guess, more um, animalistic side. Not animalistic because that's the wrong word, but um, this side of her that has to be a, a protector and a hero, but... The fact is that she's always kind of had that within her, and I really, I really loved her a lot. I, a lot of people disagree with me on this, but um, that's just how I saw her character. I, I got yelled at on Twitter a lot for liking this movie because people really? are like, I don't understand how you can critique Mad Max and say it's not a super uber feminist film and like this movie because, like, admittedly, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard's character is. I, I didn't think she was a super strong character. Something something I have really become aware of working with a lot of introverts in yeah. particularly engineering positions is how much the world discriminates against introverts. And like they portrayed her character in this movie as kind of a frigid controlling woman. And, you know, like, there's that scene where she's in the helicopter and she's unable to, like, have fun the same way, like, this, you know, multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar entrepreneur is. And I, I kind of felt like this movie was portraying introverted traits as kind of evil and dark or kind of giving them the side eye. And, you know, because, like, her character is mega organized like she's she's you know she needs a schedule she's she doesn't really express a lot of emotion and i i actually feel like the treatment of that aspect of her was not great and i think like the three of us have got 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 to have a conversation about why the frack she's wearing stupid heels in the jungle for two hours. I definitely have things to say about that. Um, returning to the introverted thing, that is really interesting to me. I totally didn't interpret the character the same way. And I think ultimately what a lot of my feelings about Jurassic Park come down to, or Jurassic World, sorry, um, is that it could have had more nuance in in ways that made it clearer what the director was going for. Like, we came out of the movie not being sure what her position on, like, having children was. And then I read a review with Colin Trevorrow where he was saying, you know, I don't see her going off and having kids at the end of the movie. And it was kind of like, well, that – I interpreted it that way because I wanted to interpret it that way. But people who – other people did not. And I think it's, it's totally fair that they saw it in that way because the movie did not really make it clear at the end what she wanted. And I think all the way through, I really identified with her. I liked her quite a bit. I found her – like funny and personable, 
but other people did not. And I think it ultimately it comes down to what your expectations are, what you want to get out of it, and then how the director tr- made those messages clear. And I don't think he made them clear. I think he very much, or not purposefully, left things up to interpretation. But as with a lot of blockbuster movies, some things just got lost in the fray. There becomes, like, it's very difficult kind of line to cross, which is, like, how much do we, I guess, balance the action uh, versus, you know, some of the more story elements and some of the character development stuff versus getting to the next explosion of the next big thing. And honestly, that's one of the areas where Steven Spielberg is is still, in my opinion, probably the master of that. And, you know, he, he did a great, he does a great job of that in all of his films um, and, and, and still when he does action films. And so, yeah. but, but, Unless you're a Steven Spielberg, um, and, and and frankly, he also comes from sort of a different era of filmmaking too. It's very difficult. Uh, I mean, Joss Whedon, I think, succeeded with the first Avengers. I think he, he failed in the second. Um, but you know, um, um, and I would say that actually, uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, did a pretty good job. But mm-hmm. um, but but that didn't need as much story development. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's always the challenge yeah. is trying to. Um, balance those two things. I think ultimately what is important, looking at um, Claire and, uh, God, Chris Pratt. <laughs> uh, I mean, she's the one who gets the character development. He's the one who's static the whole time. I think when determining a main yeah. character, that is something that's inarguable. Uh, whether or not her character development was successful, uh, I think is very much up to interpretation, and that's totally okay. But the fact that she was allowed to change is really important to me because – being able to, I mean, being able to grow as a woman, being able to be changeable, being able to have flaws and then being able to overcome them is super important for me to see in films. But Simone, and maybe this is a difference of perspective that we have, but something that drives me bonkers about films is this tired trope that happens where a professional woman just needs kids in her life to discover the real meaning of something or or to discover love in herself, or to find out what that is. It's such a damaging, dated message. I totally agree. It is. Yes. And I know the three of us are all in the camp of we don't want kids, and we're all professional women. Um, Sure. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, as far as I know from talking to you guys, I I think what you're – I totally see what you're saying, and I totally agree that that trope needs to die a fiery death. Yeah. Uh, I do also think that this kind of falls under the the – What they were going for, I believe, was that arc that Grant had where he learned to protect people that were – that are weaker and, you know, smaller than him. But they were ignoring the baggage that comes as a female viewer and, you know, when you are a woman who doesn't want kids, you are confronted with that reality more so than men who don't want kids because it's, you know, biological imperative. And I, I think that they were kind of ignorant of how women would respond to that and, like, how different it is to see a woman who is um, who learns to protect children versus how different it is to see a man who learns to protect children. And again, for me, it was a, it was different than even you know people that I saw the movie with. I I came out being like, yeah, she doesn't want kids. She's not going to have kids. I'm glad that she learned to care for people. But other people came out being like, that was really screwed up that they kind of foisted that you have to have kids message on her. So yeah, I totally, I totally, totally see where you're coming from. And I do agree that that is a, a trope that they were kind of ignorant of and careless with in the making of this film. My part of my, I mean, I had some issues with, with the Claire character, I guess, but mostly it was just because I don't think Bryce Dallas Howard is a very good actress. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, if I'm being honest, like, I almost wonder if, if I would have, I, mean, I mean, like, I loved the film. I felt that definitely she was kind of the protagonist, but I also felt like she was probably like, the weakest link. 
But I just think that's because I don't think she's a very good actress. I, I think she, she do did really me. well in the village, but I I agree with you overall. Like it's um, she's like a second rate Emma Stone at this point. Ouch. <laughs> she's it's also true, my girlfriend. As of Jurassic I'm World, sorry. so it's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry that she's your girlfriend, but like she, she can take criticism. <laughs> she's absolutely beautiful, but it's just yeah. I just I I don't I, I feel like I'm like eh, okay yeah. Wanted a redhead and 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 Amy Adams wouldn't do it. Like that's fair. She's kind of had a Betty Draper thing going on, you know, like Betty Draper. I was going to say Miss Fisher. Like, have you, uh, she didn't have the same character as Miss Fisher at all. But if you've watched Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, uh, it's this show about a 1920s spinster in Australia who solves murder mysteries. And she has that exact like flowy clothes, straight bob haircut. She so looked like Miss Fisher. And I ate up every minute of that. But yeah, I totally (laughs) act her. Actress criticism. We we do have to talk about heels in the yes. jungle. Okay, like look, I I realize like it's it's fashionable to to blast any woman wearing heels in in a movie, but I have to say like sometimes in video games, like as as someone who develops like designs costumes for a living, I think they can be gorgeous. So yeah, I don't exactly. really have like a, a religious objection to like heels in an action movie overall. Like Kate Beckinsale's outfit in uh, Underworld, you know, like she has some not what? super big heels on her boots, but um, yeah, they're there. So I think it can work. But I think when it's like impossible for you to walk in the environment, <laughs> oh, totally. I think that's I when mean, like, you like, have to like check the mud. That. Right, you got your yeah. line so in the sand, dude. A, <laughs> right, we're, we're, we're pitching. We're pitching a, a, a thing to do it at Mashable. So the, the, she was wearing Sam Edelman women's um, heels, um, and, and mm-hmm. Sam Edelman heels, from what I've heard, are actually quite comfortable. Um, I'm wearing Taylor Swift Keds right now, so I'm not really <laughs> sure what, what, what Sam Edelman, I, genuinely I am. Um, I, I'm, I wish I was joking, I but I'm wearing, on, I'm wearing, I'm wearing, yeah, pictures, I'm wearing Keds yeah. from the Taylor Swift collection. Uh, no, but, but, but apparently what we want to do is we want to go to Central Park and have someone dressed up like a dinosaur and then have someone in heels running around to see like how possible it is to run around, you know, in, in, um, um, uh, in, in an environment with heels. I think that'd be great. Fly me out there. I'll be the dinosaur. I have a frog suit. I will I will be the dinosaur. Yes. Oh my god, my whole life has been leading up to the moment where I have to chase a beautiful woman through Central Park dressed as a dinosaur. You don't understand. So like a dream come true. That's amazing. I, it is I a dream will, come true. And then you guys can like fall in love and go on a date. It'll, 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 be, it'll be beautiful. We'll love it. Um uh, I totally want to hear the results of that experiment. No, totally. But uh, but I have to say like I I am with you, Brie. Like I mean, I'm I'm in it like for some it's a ridiculous thing. Although part of me is like, look, it's a movie. Just get it. like I'm over some of the criticism, but I'm also like part of it I was even watching. I was like, seriously, are you really br- okay, whatever. Like I would have chucked the hell off those things and just been like, I'm just running. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um uh, that said, um, I did, and I can't do this anymore, but there was a time when I used to actually be able to run quite well in high heels. Um uh-huh. And how I got – this is a fun tip for the ladies at home. I learned this from America's Next Top Model. If you want to be really good at walking slash running in high heels, take that shit on the treadmill. <gasps> oh, Seriously, get on yeah. the treadmill in your heels. Yeah, I learned this from Tyra and uh, A&T in like season three or some stuff. And I was like, okay. And I did that. Wow. I got so good on my heels. It was like crazy. Is that a good workout? That sounds like it would either break you or yeah, actually, build you up stronger. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, it's a, it's a good workout. But the, too. the problem is like these are these are very pointy heels on there. Yeah. Like it, it's it's and the problem is if you're walking in grass or jungle, 
the heels are going to pierce the ground and they sink will. into there. And then when you try to step up your foot, shoes can get tight. I can run in chunky heels, but in stilettos, I am useless, worse than useless. I have to be carried around princess style. Nice. <laughs> Fortunately, my friends are very tolerant. <laughs> can I say how much I love that she wore $60 heels in a, like a multi-million dollar movie? Me like, too. They amazing. were only $60 yeah. heels? Wait. Only $60, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I put a link in, in the oh. chat. They're like 60 bucks. Sure. You found them on Amazon. I was just Googling Sam Edelman heels, and I was like, these are hot. Um, I shockingly have an opinion about the high heels. Um, not actually specifically related to um, this, but I guess it was Bryce Dallas Howard who said that she was going to run in the heels and um, practiced at it for a long time. Um, I do totally agree that I, I think the... The she argument, was on a treadmill, I guarantee you. I bet, I bet she was with like a projected T-Rex behind her. <laughs> I'm seeing me behind like her practicing actually for, dressed um, up as a T-Rex <laughs> exactly you, you dressed up as a T-Rex yeah I hel- I was helping her out yeah you were you were like I've got to chase after you you're so pretty come after Jesus come back, come Jesus back. Christ <laughs> yes Simona's yeah. blushing over Skype right yeah, now I'm, guys. I'm dying over here fanning myself I'm wearing a Snuggie I should probably take it off it's getting way too hot <laughs> in here um, as usual yeah, I, I think it's really uh, – it's tired. I'm tired of the idea that um, – the argument that she made was that um, she wanted the character to be able to, quote-unquote, keep her femininity even in such a gritty situation. I'm really tired because the there are no action female action heroes that don't keep their super feminine looks. Like Black Widow is super feminine. Um I was thinking about Gamora's super feminine. Like any any action heroine in a blockbuster movie is going to be super feminine. Um, so Seriously, your makeup is always going to be intact. Like even when it's smudged, it is smudged so you look sexy as hell. Yeah, there's no need to to guard the femininity here. Like I, I'm sorry, it, it's it's going to be there because that's Hollywood. But yeah, and, yeah. And, so I mean, it's- a, I mean, and the big thing is like, yeah, like you're not going to actually be able to run on these things. I mean, I'm not that bothered by it. It's a movie, but yeah, her like justifications. It's like okay, wait, please. This you had nothing to do with the fact that you were in heels. The whole thing is you looked better running in heels, and that's why the director it kept is it. Such an he iconic. It, he, you, oh my god! Your 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 thought to your character development had absolutely nothing to do with the, yes. the decision that was made. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like thanks th- thanks thanks for it's great that they let you think that your opinion matters, but you know you're you're Bryce Dallas Howard. You're not Ron Howard, so like it Ooh. actually doesn't matter. Ouch. Ouch! I'm just saying. I'm just I'm just being honest, no, you guys. No, you're being brutal, and it's it's very real. Yeah, but no. but it's true though. But it's true. It is, I'm just yeah. saying, like Chris Pratt would now next movie. Chris Pratt could like make real like decisions. He'd be like, my character wants to wear you know Vans, cool. But like even for this movie, like this is like they were shooting this before Galaxy like blew up. Like no, they they're like we want you to wear, we want you to look like a hot Boy Scout. Yes, sir. <laughs> Done. My type, honestly. Um. Oh my. Seriously. God. <laughs> anyway yeah i i agree 100 percent on all of that which you have said should we wrap the show oh my god are we done go see go see jurassic world go, go see, see jurassic, jurassic world, world and then uh you should totally tweet at us or send us emails uh letting us know what you thought about jurassic world and while you're doing it rate our podcast on itunes you must because you love us you got to cool you love us all right so brie what are you doing this week 
Uh, I'm speaking, uh, giving the keynote at Inspirefest tomorrow, uh, on Friday rather, and um, I'm doing some stuff I can't talk about yet. Yay! So, so exciting. <laughs> that's the best stuff, yeah. You'll be enjoying Ireland. Christina, what are you up to? Um, so I'm going to be finishing watching Orange is the New Black. I'll probably finish tonight. Yes. Um, I'm going to uh, be going to see Jaws on Sunday for the 40th anniversary. Woohoo! Um, it's actually going to be playing in theaters all over the country on both uh, July 21st and 24th. So check your local listings. And if you've never seen Jaws in the theater, um, it's I, I've seen it once like years ago, um, but it was at an outdoor theater and it was a different sort of experience. Um, it's still like one of the best like action movies ever so yeah. jaws and since there are real shark attacks happening right now like it's super oh my God. so uh it, it's awesome um and uh yeah i mean just uh you know writing stuff on the mashables you can find me at film underscore girl and <laughs> did you me. call it the mashables did you call it the mashables? i did call it the mashables i did call it the mashables you can find me on the Mashables. confirmed name change for the website mashables.com uh, it is not <laughs> It, it, unfortunately, it is not. Uh, but, you know, I'm just, you know, we're a verb, I guess. Yeah, it's mashable is. I don't know. You mash it. All right. And I will be covering E3 at pixelkin.org. I've gotten to do some very, very cool write-ups, and I have opinions about VR and stuff. So you should totally go check that out. Yay! And Yay! Oh, I want to read that. things happening. Um, yeah, and you can find me on the Twits the bird machine at doom quasar um yeah embryana <laughs> where can we machine. find you space cat gal sweet terminated 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 <laughs> <laughs>